Please stand with me for the reading of this morning's text. I'll be reading from Ezra chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. Ezra chapter 6, 19 through 22. And the children of the captivity kept the Passover upon the 14th day of the first month. For the priest and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure and killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity and for their brethren the priest and for themselves. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of captivity and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. And kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Let's pray together. Merciful and gracious Father, we are a thankful people this morning. We thank you for the ministry of your living word and your life-giving Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you will break up the stony ground of our heart to receive the good seed of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So far, in the book of Ezra, we have a story of God's people. In this book... God continues to identify His people over and against those who are not His people. As we come to this book, we are told in the New Testament that these Old Testament um, stories, these Old Testament scriptures are for our what? For our example. We are to glean from them who we are in Christ what it looks like to live in covenant. We are to see the privileges and our responsibilities. We are to learn of the blessings and the curses for faithfully walking before our God or not. You see, as we work through this book, we see over and over God identifying His people. In the very first chapter, we see that He calls to His people to come out of Babylon, to separate themselves from the idol worshipers of the land in which they live. We even see that there are those among their group who will not join them. And they are given duties as well. They are to help provide resources uh, for this calling. And in Ezra chapter 1, we read this, Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God has raised, to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So we see here God speaking through a pagan king, but speaking to His people, pouring out His Spirit upon them, calling them to a task calling them to build the house of the Lord. In chapter 2, this continues. These children are identified. The whole chapter is spent identifying the various people who came out of Babylon and headed for Jerusalem. And again, the priests and the Levites are mentioned, and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims. All of them left Babylon and headed for Jerusalem. And then we are told that they arrive in Jerusalem. The children of Israel arrive in Jerusalem as one man. As one man. They were unified in their purpose and in their calling. And we see that they come together and they establish the foundations 
of the, the old temple and they find the altar and they worship the Lord with the priest and the Levites and all those who have come out of Babylon. And then in chapter 4, we see opposition arise. We see the civil authorities come against the children of Israel, those who had come out of Babylon. The opposition is so great, they appeal to the authorities and they actually get the children of God to stop working. But then we see through the voice of the prophets, God speaking to His prophets, His chosen vessels, they speak to God's chosen people. And God's Spirit is once again stirred among the people. And they hear His voice. And they get back to work. And then we see the opposition come again. And in God's providence, He moves the heathens in favor of His people. They search for the original decree and they find it. And in agreement with that original decree, they tell their own people, the heathen tell their own people to leave God's people alone. Do not hinder them in the work to which they have been called. And in agreement with the original decree, they actually begin to tax their own people. And the resources from the heathen of the land flow into the project. And God's people, through His providence, through the turning of the hearts of the heathen, through the Spirit being poured out upon them, they finish the temple. And they dedicate it. To the Lord. And last week, as we looked at verse 19, we saw that the children of the captivity kept the Passover. Do you remember? We focused on these aspects. And what we saw here was that God had orchestrated all of history, every bit of it. He had orchestrated all of history to move His children through various states of success and failure, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. And He brought them out of captivity once again to restore the temple, to restore right worship. And we saw that their entire identity, the, the foundation of their identity is in the fact that they worship the one true God. That is who they are. That is what they are to be doing. And today I'm going to focus again on the next verse, verse 20. It's as far as we will get today. I want to turn your attention there. Verse 20 says, For the priest and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure. And killed the Passover for all the children of the captivity, and for their brethren, the priest, and for themselves. Now as we're looking at the priest and the Levites here, we have to step back for a minute. And we say, okay, so of the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, this, this family was called out from the, the people. They were set apart from the people. And they were wholly dedicated to the service of the Lord. They were the priests, the Levites. They were in charge of the worship service, all the different aspects. They were set up to represent the people. They were a family representing all the families. They were a people group that was identifying and representing the entire nation. 
and they had been called out to offer sacrifices in the worship of the one true God. Now as we think on these priests, as we think on this nation of priests and kings, we're reminded that the Apostle Peter had something to say about this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read this, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him, the worship of Him, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Those who were in captivity have been set free. Which in times past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Do you see this? Do you see that we are like the children of Israel? We are like the children of captivity. Our story parallels their story. You see, we were called out of an idol-worshiping land like Abraham. We were chosen out for no reason other than God placed His love upon us. There was nothing special about us. But in Abraham's descendants, from his loins came a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. They were a nation of kings and priests. They had been delivered. They had been redeemed by the Lord God Almighty. And they were called to deliberately and to specifically and to wholeheartedly with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They were to worship and to praise the One who had called them out of darkness and brought them into His marvelous light-bearing kingdom. Do you see this? It says that we were once not a people. We once did not have the mercy of God. But now, through His abundant mercy, we have been made the people of God. Our story parallels that of the children of Israel. The children of captivity, their story is our story. And if we look again at verse 20, we see that the priest and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure. Hear this from Exodus 20. The Lord God is speaking to His people. He is speaking to all of Israel. And He says, Sanctify yourselves therefore, and be ye Holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord which sanctify you. You see, they were a nation of priests and kings. They were called to represent the people to God. Some of them were called to represent God to the people, but God had called them out. They were a worshiping people. This is what defined them. And God took this people group and He made a call on a specific smaller subset, a smaller group. And He says, I want you to be devoted to worshiping me, to the, the temple sacrifices, to the work in the temple, to the singing, to everything that was involved in the worship of the one true God. And he called them priest. And he calls you priest. You see, their story is our story. 
He set them apart. He called them unto Himself. He devoted them to His worship. To declaring His glory. I want you to see this. Listen to, listen to what happened to these people who were called out. How were they set apart? What was the process by which the Lord said, you are going to be set apart for this specific task? Listen to what happened to them. They were washed with water. This set them apart, especially as being cleaned. Have you been washed with water? Have you been baptized? Have you been washed clean by the waters of baptism? Have you been washed by the water of the Word? After they were washed, they were then fitted with holy and beautiful garments. These are the garments they were going to wear as they entered into the temple and as they orchestrated the worship of God. You see, these garments represented, just like for us, they had on the righteousness of Christ. Some of these garments even parallel the whole armor of God. It's an interesting study just on its own. And then after they were washed with water and they were fitted with these beautiful and these holy garments, they were then what? They were anointed with oil. They were anointed with oil that was signifying the pouring out of God's Spirit upon them. They had been washed in water. They were clothed in beautiful holy garments and they were anointed with oil. The Spirit had descended upon them and at that point they began to make sacrifices. Like you and I are called to present ourselves a living sacrifice. To offer up our sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Do you see that their story is our story? And then, after this, after sacrifices were made, the blood was applied to the priest. The priests were covered with blood. The imagery here is rich and powerful and broad and wide. Through all of Scriptures, we see this applying of the blood. We see it in the original Passover as the angel of death saw the children of Israel were identified with this blood that was over them. And the angel of death, the wrath of God, passed over them and killed all the firstborn in the land. This application of blood is said to be a remission of sin through the washing of the blood of the Lamb. The new covenant is said to be in His blood. You and I are told that we have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. You see, without this sacrificial blood, of course in the Old Testament, pointing forward to the blood that Christ would shed, but this sacrificial blood, this blood of atonement, everywhere in Scriptures is the foundation for saints and sinners, for priests and ministers. No one comes into relationship with God the Father but through the blood of the Lamb of God. I want to quote a section that I read the other day. 
And I want us to think in these kind of terms. When we, when we look at these Old Testament stories and examples, I want us to have our minds sharp. And I want us to be thinking about what, what does this imagery mean as we look back through God's completed revelation at these instances and these sometimes strange examples um, to our modern eyes and ears. I want us to think through the imagery that is available to us. So I'm going to quote here. It says, The significance of this action should not escape the reader. And this is talking about the blood being applied to the priest. The significance of this action should not escape the reader. The whole person and career of the priest were thus brought under the power of the blood. He had a blood-stained ear that he might hear and obey the divine injunctions, that he might understand the word of Yahweh and interpret it to the people. His will was brought into subjection to the will of his Lord that he might be a faithful minister in things pertaining to God. He had a blood-stained hand that he might execute rightly and efficiently the services of the sanctuary and the duties of this great office that he had been called to. He had likewise a blood-stained foot that he might walk in the statutes and commandments of the Lord blameless and tread the courts of the Lord's house as an obedient servant of the Most High. The power of the blood. The power of the blood to wash away our sins. The power of the blood to make us new. But the bad news here is, both the Old Testament priest and the New Testament priest have the same problem. Though we have been called out, we have been set aside, we have been made holy, we still drag around with us the old man. The man that lived in the land of idol worshipers. The man that longingly glances back from time to time. And now reading the quote that I have on the front of the order of worship, this is our problem. We have been called to a particular thing, and yet it says people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness, and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. This is our problem. You see back here in Exodus... We were told that we are to sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be holy. For I am the Lord your God, and ye shall keep my statutes to do them. And as Carson says, without grace-driven effort, this is not going to happen.
The question is, are we pursuing holiness? Are we pursuing our call? Are we devoted to the priesthood? Yes, we have been called to build the house, but to what end? We have been called as the priesthood of the Most High God to come and worship Him. It is our life. Our passage says that the priests and the Levites were purified together. And it says all of them were pure. They were again as one man prepared for worship. And so that brings the question, how are you preparing for worship? Is your whole life devoted to being separate? Is your whole life focused on being set apart? Is your whole life... Remember, we're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. With everything that we are, are we preparing for worship? Does everything you do look like worship? Is everything you do worship? This is the life of a priest. Are you praying and fasting for each other throughout the week? Are you praying and fasting for the preacher? How are you preparing your families for Sunday worship? Are you training your families for Sunday worship by doing family worship every day? You as a priest, are you training the little priest in your house on how to do this? Are you and yours getting enough rest Saturday night? Are your crock pots ready? Is your gas tank full? Are your clothes ready to go? Do you know where your kids' shoes are? Saturday night. I know what happens on Sunday morning. Do you work on the songs that we will be singing in worship on Sunday? Do you review the Scripture readings? Maybe the quotes on the front of the order of worship. Maybe you read through the written prayers with your family so that they know in advance what it's going to be. Do you think about before Sunday about 10.45, what you're going to be praying for during corporate prayer time? Regardless of whether you are praying out loud or silently. I mean, a show of hands here. How many people in the congregation can think of three needs in our congregation right now that need to be prayed for? Three needs. Every hand should be up. So then my question is, why was there so much silence during our prayer time? As priest, you are presenting the needs of the people to God Almighty in His very presence. How many of you have considered joining the prayer time before the service where we pray for each other and for the Lord to bless this very service. Maybe you should review the most recent sermon in the series 
to refresh your mind. I have to confess that a lot of these have come to me over the last month or so as I've been doing some counseling in some other churches. I'm not saying we are immune from this, but specifically, I had a young man tell me that he was not being fed by the preaching of the Word at his church. I know his pastor, and he is a solid gospel preacher. So I began to ask the young man some of these very questions. He wasn't doing any of these. He was somehow expecting to show up on Sunday morning and to just be filled up without having done any of the work himself. He was expecting the guy up front to be able to do all that for him. It's not possible. The guy in the pulpit cannot be your only source of food. You need to be eating all week long. So let me ask you a couple more questions. Do you actually study the upcoming sermon text? Now I know we change it up every once in a while, but we generally get the order of worship out on Wednesday. Sometimes it's Thursday. But that still gives you a couple days to say, hey look, this is what Evans is going to preach on. Maybe I should go read it. Maybe I should even crack a commentary or, you know, you all have a smart device. You can do it about that quick, right? Passage, commentary, your reading. Get a cup of coffee, get you some Matthew Henry, and you will be blessed, I promise. Do you come into the preaching time with actual questions that you may have about the text, hoping that the guy up front actually addresses them? Let me give you an example. In our passage today, in verse 20, let me find it here. It says, For the priest and the Levites were purified together, all of them were pure, and killed the Passover for all the children of captivity, and for their brethren the priest, and for themselves. What's unusual about this? What is unusual about this Passover? For those of you who know the story in Exodus, what is unusual about this Passover? It's not a trick question. In Exodus, who is given the responsibility to kill the sacrificial lamb? The fathers. Right? Isn't that what it says? So why are the priests and the Levites doing it? Good question, isn't it? I'm not sure I have a super solid answer here for you, but I can take a whack at it. But this is the kind of thing that I think we should be coming to the text and saying, hey, look, this is kind of odd. I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. I hope the guy up front covers it this week. I hope he talks about it. And if he doesn't, I'm going to bust his chops during the mealtime and say, dude, you missed it. There's a big question here. You didn't even address it. Elder Morris and I would love to have those kind of conversations over lunch. We know we're not perfect, and we know we can't address every single issue in every passage all the time. We would go through Ezra even slower than we are now. Thanks for laughing. Now I've lost my place. Okay, right. So, in Exodus, it very clearly says that the fathers are to determine for their household the lamb, right? How much lamb they need. And then it says, um, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door posts of the house, wherein they shall eat it. Right? We know this story. 
the fathers got the lambs. They counted the number of mouths that were in the house. They prepared enough food. They kept their shoes on. They kept their staff in their hand. And dad was running the show, right? So what changed? There's only a few little tidbits of information here that we can kind of start piecing some of this together. And I'm really more confident in the fact that it did change and then exactly why it changed. There's a couple little indications, but we can just rest assured that it did change. So in the days of Hezekiah, in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, it says that the Levites killed the Passover for everyone that was not clean. And then in a longer extended passage, it lists a number of families that had not cleansed themselves. I'm making a little bit of a jump here and thinking that it was the dads who were not clean and therefore they couldn't do their responsibility around Passover. So at this point, the Levites come in and the priest and they kill the lambs so the families can participate in Passover, all right? So I know for sure that it changed. This looks like it might be a reason it could have changed. And then we move forward to the days of Josiah, 2 Chronicles 35, and it seems like that the Levites have been told that they specifically are to slay the Passover lambs and, and roast it for the people and for the priest and for themselves. And the little bit of indication we get here is that the priests were really busy and didn't have time to do the Passover lamb thing, so the Levites, who were not priests, they were responsible for killing the Passover lamb. That makes sense? That's what it says, okay? So as we think through this change, we can draw some things out of it, right? So we see that families were sort of like the first worshiping unit, all right? And dad was sacrificing the lamb. He was standing in that role of priest. But then we see indications that dad in and of himself was not sufficient in this role. There was more to it than just a family thing. And as the nation grew and as the people became more and more, it became harder logistically to pull this off. So you have a problem with uncleanness. Remember that old man I mentioned? And you also have a problem with the logistics. Now I think we can actually take some of the uncleanness problem and apply it to the priest because we have a long history of them not being up to speed, not being up to snuff, not being clean. So to accommodate, the Lord makes these extra provisions. He allows the Levites to kill the Passover lambs. And we even see that it is according to the word of the Lord through his servant Moses. So we can be confident that there was a change. We can be confident that they are not in sin in the change. And there's some indications on why that change might have happened. And see, this is our problem as the priesthood, isn't it? You and I have the same condition that the children of captivity had. We have the same problem as the fathers of the families had. You and I live in an unclean land. You and I have been brought out of an unclean land full of idols and idol worshipers. You and I continue to struggle with idolatry and unfaithfulness. 
This should not be news to you. This is our condition. Paul speaks of it at length. In Romans chapter 7, he says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. I really desire to be a holy priest unto the Lord. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity of the law of sin which is in my members. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? You and I cry out in a similar fashion. Every week, we confess our sins to a holy God. Every week we stand as the priesthood before Him in our soiled garments, spotted by the world. And we too say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver us from this body of death? And of course, there is only one answer. Paul says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. You see, Jesus came because of this very reason. Because the fathers weren't adequate. The priests in the Old Testament weren't adequate. The blood of bulls and goats in the Old Testament was not adequate. It was not sufficient. You and I, in our priesthood, are not sufficient. There is still a family aspect to this. You see, Jesus is our older brother. Jesus is our groom. Jesus is the high priest. He is our high priest. He completely fulfills the priesthood of Aaron. He completely fulfills the priesthood of Melchizedek. Both Old Testament priesthoods are completely and sufficiently and adequately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. See, like the children that came out of captivity, we often fail in our assignment to build the house. And we've talked about this. We know what that looks like. We know what our responsibilities are and our roles are to one another to build one another up, to build that holy temple of God. And we fail. Right? But in Hebrews chapter 3, it tells us, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... See, we are defined by something outside of ourselves. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he has builded the house, has more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that builds all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are. See, in his role as our father, he can make the sacrifice for us. In his role as the appointed high priest, he is sufficiently clean. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. 
Brothers and sisters, you have to put your confidence in Jesus. You can't rely on yourself. You can't rely on the guy up front. You can't rely on the guy you're listening to on the internet. You can only rely on Jesus Christ. And see, we have the same story when it comes to our duties as a royal priesthood. We fail. We are still tainted with sin. We still glance longingly at the world. And it takes us off our game. Instead of preparing for worship, we get distracted by all kinds of stuff. That if we actually looked at for just a minute, we would see that it was empty. There was nothing there. There is no joy in the things of the world. If you raise them beyond the gift that they are from God, if you raise them higher than that, there's no joy there, there's only death. But Christ, but Christ being come as a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building. It's not like the temple stones and beams. Neither is it by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see, it is secured. It is a done deal. It is finished. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience, He's talking to you, purge your conscience from dead works to do what? To serve the living God. Embrace that call to priesthood. Be washed with the water. Put on the garments. Let the Holy Spirit anoint you. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, His death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, those are our sins. They which are called, that's you, might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Do you see this? I want to go back to the Leviticus passage once again. We have to get this right. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8 says, Sanctify yourself therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God and ye shall keep my statutes and do them. But see, it doesn't stop there like I did last time, does it? You have a responsibility here, but how it finishes up is says, I am the Lord which sanctify you. Brothers and sisters, put your confidence there. Only in Jesus Christ, our High Priest. So what does this look like? If you would, I'm actually going to make you turn to this section. 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to start in verse 16. Here's your calling. You want your marching orders? You want to know what it looks like to be a priest? This is the passage. This is one of the passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, morning, noon, and night. In everything, in everything, in everything give thanks. For in everything is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, 
despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace. Ooh, let this wash over you. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly and completely. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless, under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice it doesn't say, and this is all up to you, baby. Nope, that's not what it says. It says, faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Do you see that? Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. That work that He has begun in you and I, it says that He will finish it. Rest there. Let's pray. Father, we once again thank You for your word and your spirit. Lord, we know that through your word and your spirit comes life. And those things that are not in agreement with your word and your spirit bring death. You have called us to live. You have called us to be a part of your kingdom. You have called us to be priests. You have called us to labor in your service. You have called us to present ourselves a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. We get to remain alive as we devote ourselves wholly to you. We live forever and ever and ever because of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that your word this morning will sink deep into our hearts. We pray this morning that as your word sinks deep into our hearts, that it will also work its way out in our hands, in our feet, in our mouth, in our eyes, in our ears. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.